Let us pray. God of us all, uh, take our ears and hear through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. So when I was growing up, um, my family went to church a lot. We went on Sunday mornings. We went on Sunday nights. We went on Wednesday nights. Often enough, we went on Friday nights. But for all of that church going, I don't recall anyone ever saying that my brother and I were particularly reverent. What I remember hearing in church was, could you just sit still for a minute? I remember, don't run in church. And then there was the all-inclusive, shh. Which is why, you know, we don't have a lot of kids. We don't have any kids here today. But when we did have children, and when we soon will have children, and after the service, when they're rolling under the pews, or they're leapfrogging over the pews, or they're tearing down these back stairs, or they're hiding in places that most of us don't exist, I can hardly bring it to be the one who says to them, shh. Now, it is true. My brother and I could have been more considerate. Uh, we could have been more respectful. My parents would have been glad if we were a little more obedient. But that would not have made us more reverent, because that's not what reverence is. Now, we're uh, you know, in the midst of this preaching series on, on the new normal. COVID's been a, a hard stop in our lives, in our culture, in the world. It's disrupted habits and patterns and practices. And now, you know, we hope we're on the trailing edge. And soon enough, we are going to settle into a new normal. And if we're not thoughtful, if we're not intentional, uh, that'll just be shaped by whatever the prevailing patterns are. And we'll easily kind of be shaped by what's conventional or what's convenient. But if that happens, uh, we will have missed an opportunity to, to rethink the ways that we live together as followers of Jesus. And so in the series, we're, we're talking about some lenses, three lenses for looking at our lives, at our congregation, uh, at the world around us. So we've talked some about density, about the priority of, of deep, thick relationships in our life with Christ and in our life together. And uh, later, it's going to be after the new year now, we're going to talk about equity about the priority of justice in the world, about the work of repair and healing. Uh, but today I want to talk about the lens of reverence. Now, if you look it up in the dictionary, uh, reverence is defined as presupposing an intrinsic merit and inviolability in the one honored and a corresponding depth of feeling in the one honoring, which, uh, you know, not bad for Merriam-Webster, but I like the definition that Barbara Brown Taylor gives better in her book, An Altar in the World. She describes reverence as the proper attitude of a small and curious human being in a vast and fascinating world of experience. Proper attitude of a small and curious human being in a vast and fascinating world. That's what I hear in the, in the words of the psalmist, Psalm 24, which we read earlier. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it, for he has founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers. And then in response to such a vast and fascinating world, the psalmist evokes the proper attitude of reverence. Lift up your heads, O gate, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. I hear that reverence in the book of Job, too. Remember in Job, uh, Job and his friends are having a long argument about the ways that God works in the world. And at the end, the Lord reminds Job that he lives in a world not of Job's making, a world beyond his understanding. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? 
Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Do you know? Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? And this goes on for four chapters. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send lightning so that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who's put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? And after four chapters of that, Job can only finally reply in reverence, now my eyes see you. The scriptures describe a world created by God, a world that's imbued with the holiness and the beauty and the awe, the creative power, the loving kindness of God. A world in which, as the writer of Philippians knows, the Lord is near. It's a world that evokes the proper attitude of reverence. But it's easy to lose sight of that vision of the world and of our life together in it. There are a lot of prevailing patterns and pressures that aim to shift our perceptions. Um, we're part of an economic system that sees everything as a commodity, not a gift. Our cultural heritage, and especially those of us who are white, and particularly those of us who live out in the West, our cultural heritage centers on the myth of rugged individualism. And in this technological age, time just keeps speeding up. It can almost feel like we get caught up in a whirlwind. In our culture, we're left to create our own lives. We curate our lives on social media. We post what we're making of our lives. And I don't know about you, but I think the experience of many of us, well, there we go right now. I think the, the experience of many of us on social media is that compared to others, we never quite measure up. We're not as interesting, we're not as attractive, we're not as accomplished as other people. In our economy, we're always in competition for what's scarce. I mean, if everything's a commodity, then everything's available in the market, and then you have to, that means you have to earn more, you have to achieve more, innovate more, advance more, or you're gonna fall behind. And there's just never enough time. Remember when we thought that email was gonna make our lives easier? I mean, you're not going to have to write letters anymore. You're not going to have to call people anymore. You can just dash off a quick electronic message. We're going to be done with work by noon. I never have enough time to get to the bottom of my email uh, inbox. So if you're still waiting, my apologies. But in the midst of that whirlwind, reverence is a way of remembering. Of remembering that we live in a world not of our own making. A world of wonders and mysteries and beauty beyond anything we can even imagine or ask. A world in which all of life is a gift from God, all of creation is holy, and all of us are connected. Reverence is a lens for seeing and learning to live together in that vast and fascinating world. Against the anxieties that can be debilitating, against the frenetic pace that can overwhelm us, uh, against the disjointedness that can leave us feeling uh, alone. Reverence can help us see that the deep structure, the deep purpose, the deep love of God that runs through all of creation. And it can help us hear the one who says, don't be afraid. I am with you. I will uphold you. I will help you. I will strengthen you. That's the promise. That's the hope of our faith, that God is with us, that the God of creation has come to us and abides with us that God will always be near to you. But reverence, because it runs counter to the prevailing pressures, reverence requires us to be 
intentional, to be purposeful. In the first place, reverence takes time, time to be still, to pay attention, to see, to hear, to sense what we might otherwise miss. Barbara Brown Taylor has a, has a wonderful chapter on reverence in the book I mentioned earlier, An Altar in the World, which I highly recommend to everyone. She says that the easiest practice of reverence she knows is to sit down somewhere outside, preferably near water, and pay attention for at least 20 minutes. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel in your body? What do you feel in your soul? There are wonders to be found in the world that God has created. And if you can't go outside, well, her second choice is to find a piece of paper and a pencil and then spend 20 minutes drawing your hand. Get the lines right. Get the freckles in there or the aging spots, as the case may be. Don't miss the scars because scars tell stories, don't they? Remember who's held your hand. Remember what your hand has touched. Remember what you've had to let go of. Something as simple as drawing your hand is a way of remembering our place in God's world. That's reverence. And it takes time. Second, reverence is this awareness of being a part of something bigger, something beyond ourselves. Reverence is cultivated by gratitude. You know, this economy, as I said earlier, if everything is a commodity, then it means everything has a price tag. Everything is for sale. If you can buy it, it's yours. You own it. You alone can do with it whatever you want. Scripture, though, teaches us that everything instead is a gift, that all things bright and beautiful come from creator God. And that shifts everything because gifts create relationships. Gifts connect us to the giver. Uh, Robin Wall Kimmer, in her book, Braiding Sweetgrass, with, which a number of us have read, um, writes that it was strawberries for her, wild strawberries that, uh, quote, first shaped my view of a world full of gifts simply scattered at your feet. A gift comes to you through no action of your own, free. Having moved toward you without your beckoning, it is not a reward. You cannot earn it or call it to you or even deserve it, and yet it appears. Now, it's late for us around here for strawberries, but um, snow in the mountains, winter squash, those aren't just commodities, those are gifts. So are the precious metals that uh, we need for our devices. So is the petroleum that fuels almost all of the vehicles that we ride in. If we understand all of that as gifts, especially as gifts given for us all, then it creates relationships. It also creates responsibilities. And so... Um, we're going to talk about equity next, our responsibility to share rightly with each other. But for now, it's enough to say that gratitude is a way of recognizing and remembering that all of life is a gift. You know, at our leadership table meeting on, on Wednesday night, uh, right at the beginning, we just sat for five minutes reflecting on the day that we'd lived through and calling to mind gratitude for the gifts that we'd been given. I know there are people who keep gratitude journals. Every day they, they reflect, identify, write down three things or so for which they are grateful that day. Now, I know we have Thanksgiving Day coming up here pretty soon, but it takes more than one day out of the year. But however you do it, an ongoing practice of gratitude cultivates reverence. 
Finally, reverence grows as we recognize our interconnectedness. There are plenty of forces that uh, conspire to pull us apart, to convince us that we're different, that we're better. In the West especially, we've always had a very human-centric view of creation. We've always viewed humans as unique, as distinct from the rest of creation. But all of us are created by God, and that means that all of creation is imbued with the holy, all of creation. Some of us are reading Sarah Augustine's books, The Land is Not Empty, uh, and in the, the chapters we were talking about earlier today, she uses uh, a new word to me, the word transversal, to describe this interconnectedness. A transversal worldview recognizes that we're all related, humans and animals and plants and soil and ecosystems. And she goes on to ask, how might we as the body of Christ experience transformation if we believed all that surrounds us are our relatives. That's what St. Francis believed. In fact, he's uh, the author of that first hymn we just sang this morning. St. Francis knew that the sun and the wind and the air and the fire and fire are all our brothers. St. Francis knew that the moon and the stars, water, Mother Earth herself are all our sisters. We're all connected in the luminous web of God's creation. Reverence takes time cultivated by gratitude, and it grows as we recognize that we are all related. I said at the start that I wasn't uh, an especially well-behaved kid in church, although it didn't turn out that badly, I should say. It also turns out, though, that reverence doesn't only or even primarily happen in church, and it turns out that kids naturally are good at it. Kids know that the world is much bigger than they are. Kids are endlessly curious. And even though adults have all the clocks, kids seem to have all the time. So for those of us who have, uh, have grown up a little, try to remember what it was like to be a little adventurous girl. Try to remember what it was like to be a little curious boy. And always remember that you are a child of God, the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Thanks be to God. Amen.